thanks so much for listening to the Summit Church Hazard podcast. This is Mark Holmes. We're in a series through the book of Revelation called Revelation, the beginning of all things. And today is part two. Why we need the church in the last days. We're in Revelation 2 and 3 today. Like I said, thanks so much for listening. Take a second and share today's podcast episode wherever you are on social media. It always helps to get more people in on the conversation, listening to the podcast. So just go ahead and share it. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode because we put out more than just sermons is to subscribe. Let's jump right into the sermon. Stick around for the other side of the sermon. We've got a few things for you at the end. We are in a series through the book of Revelation. We started it last week, and so Revelation chapter 2 is where we are today. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, turn it on. And last week I, I asked you if you have a Bible, bring it. It's fine if you didn't, you know, use your phone, whatever you've got. But, man, if you've got a Bible near you, on you, or whatever, open it up. Revelation 2 is where we're going to be. Revelation, as you're turning to Revelation 2, breaks down really easy. This is a very confusing book. It can be. But Revelation breaks down really simply into a series of visions. One ends and one starts. That's what this series is going to look like from this week forward. So it's, so it's a, usually a chunk of chapters that come together, and they make up one vision or one moment in this book. And so today is Revelation 2 and 3 is where we are today. And so let's just dive right in. We're going to read Revelation 2, 1 to 7. And then what we're going to do is we're going to read Revelation 3, 1 to 6. You'll see why we do it this way in just a moment because it breaks down really easily. All right, it's going to make sense to us. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Everybody in the room, everybody online, open, it up, your, open up a Bible, turn it on, let's go. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now let's turn just a little bit to chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 to 6. So this is another letter to another church, the church in Sardis. Revelation 3, 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. 
The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I think we can probably all agree, Revelation, if you know it a little bit, is a weird book, right? I mean, there are, there are things in Revelation that, you know, we speculate about, we want to know about, we're curious. There's a lot of weird things in here, you know, the Antichrist, uh, 666, the Mark of the Beast, all kinds of things that capture our imagination. We're going to talk about all these deeper we get into this. It's a 12-week-long series. It's gonna, like I said last week, we'll finish this series the Sunday before Christmas. We're going through this entire book, and there's a lot of things that capture our imagination in this book. That's why one of the weirdest things this book does Instead of talking about all the things that we want to talk about, first thing this book does is take you to church. The first thing this book does is start with seven letters to normal, everyday, average churches. I mean, churches that got some good stuff going on, but then churches that could use a lot of work. Just normal churches. And the book of Revelation says, listen, we're going to get to all the stuff you want to talk about later on. First, we're going to church. Why? Why in the world would Revelation start with seven letters to seven churches? Here's why. Because the book of Revelation is a book about Jesus and his church. That's why. The book of Revelation is a book about Jesus and the church. And if you miss the church in Revelation, you will miss this whole book. I mean, so many times people come to the book of Revelation and they want to ask, you know, who, who's the superpower at work in the middle of the book of Revelation? There's all kinds of speculations. People talk about all kinds of different things. And, and they try to find Russia in it and even America in it. And who's this government and who are all of these things? Listen to me. At the center of Revelation is Jesus and the church. That's what's at the center. Why? Why in the world would this book, with all of the other things we're going to dive into, why would it start with the church? Why would it be about the church? And why is the church at the center of it? Here's why. Because at the center of Jesus' heart is the church. At the center of Jesus' heart is the church. This is in chapter 1 all the way through. So last week was the intro. If you missed it, it's online. Go check it out. Last week we saw the intro to the book of Revelation, and, and Jesus was standing in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. Who remembers? Somebody tell me, what are the seven golden lampstands? The seven churches. That's exactly what the, they are literally churches. So where is Jesus in Revelation? He's with the church. He's standing. He's in the middle of the church. The book of Revelation ends with what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this marriage feast where Jesus is the groom and the church is a bride and they're brought together in this marriage. Why? Because Jesus loves the church. I love this quote from John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York. Look at this. It's on the screen. Jesus is not committed to the church because he has to be. He is committed to the church because he wants to be. God is in love with a woman and her name is the church. Jesus loves the church. It's at the center of his heart. So let me ask you a question, everybody online. Let me ask you a question. How important is the church to you? If the church is at the center of Jesus' heart, what place does the church have in your life? And here's the deal. When you talk about church, man, all of a sudden, I know it gets weird in the room when you talk about church because 
Everybody in, the chair, everybody in this room, probably a lot of you online as well, everybody could grab a microphone and we could pass that mic around. And if you've been in church for a few minutes, everybody has a story of church hurt, right? Everybody has a story of church hurt, church trauma. God help us. We could probably tell stories of how the church has hurt people, hopefully unintentionally, right? But everybody has stories. And can I just tell you, man, I get it. You don't have to be a pastor for five minutes until you get a story of the church hurting you. So, so the church can hurt us. I get it, but here's the thing. Jesus loves the church. It's at the center of his heart. How important is the church to you? That's why it starts with the church. It doesn't start with all this other stuff. Because if we don't have the place of the church right in our hearts, not only will we miss this book, we will miss God's purpose for our lives. That's why it starts with seven letters to normal, everyday churches that got some good stuff and got some stuff they need to fix. Every one of these letters, all seven of these letters, have the same structure. What I mean by that is they have the same rhythm. They do the same things over and over. So the first thing every letter does, as you can see it, we read it, every one of them, to the angel of and then the name of that church. And there's some speculation who is the angel of the church. And some people will say, well, you know what, maybe the angel of the church is the pastor. And I just want to say with a lot of years of experience, ain't nobody ever called me angel, so I don't buy that, to be perfectly honest, right? No, I, I, don't, I, I really don't think it's the, the pastor. I think that this is exactly what it says and what it looks like, that these churches, each of them have a separate angel to the angel of this church. Here's the thing. That shouldn't surprise you. It makes absolute sense. The whole point of the book of Revelation is to say to you that behind what you see with your physical eye is a spiritual realm that you don't see, but that spiritual realm impacts the physical realm. Amen? Right? There's a reality that is unseen. Here, listen. The biggest mistake that some of you will make today in the 11 o'clock service is you will leave in a couple of hours. And see what I did there? You will leave in just a minute. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, what? You will leave in a few minutes, and you will say that the only thing that happened at that church was what you saw in the room. And I want you to know there are things happening in this room right now that none of us can see. Hello? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I think one day we're going to get to meet the angel of Summit Community Church. He's might be calling right now. And so, I mean, listen, I'm open. I'm open, Holy Spirit. Right? And so... Every church has an angel. There are things happening in the world right now, in this room. There are things happening in and around your life that you cannot see with your physical eye. And here's the deal. If you ride off the spiritual realm that you can't see, odds are really good you have already lost the battle. So there is a reality that you and I can't see right out of the gate. It addresses that in these letters. Every letter starts with, to the angel. I think it's an actual angel. And then it's a description of Jesus from chapter 1. Do you remember last week John sees Jesus and he sees Jesus? Jesus has long white hair, eyes like blazing fire, a sword is coming out of his mouth. Every single letter John takes a piece of that and applies it to a church. And so if you get the study guide that we put out online every week for the series, it's in the app, it's online. What I've done in the study guide is I've taken every one of these letters and shown you this is where that is in chapter 1. So John is applying that vision to each church. And then after he says, hey, it's just him saying Jesus is with you is what it means. And then after that, Jesus says these words, and I love these words. He says, I know. I know to every single church. I know what's going good in this church. Every single church gets, gets, gets commendations. Hey, Jesus says, listen, this is really good stuff that you've got working on. And then all but two get corrections. And so Jesus says, I know the good stuff and I know the bad stuff. 
And after Jesus gives those corrections, he always gives an invitation to fix the correction. That invitation is always to repent, come back to him, by the way. And then every letter ends the exact same way, with a call for you and I, for this church, to be faithful, to not let go of Jesus, endure persecution. And then it ends with this cryptic phrase, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But it's still weird to me that it goes to church first. Why would Revelation go to church first? See, we could take seven weeks, we're not, and go through every one of these each on a Sunday. A seven-week series, the letters to the churches in Revelation. You could do that. Every letter's packed with all kinds of things. We're not going to do that. But when you read these seven letters, and you ought to, take ten minutes sometime today or this week, read Revelation 2 and 3, together in one sitting. Watch what God does, man. It's just really easy to understand. It'll apply to your life. I promise you'll love it. But when you read these seven letters together, back to back, I think there is one theme that jumps out. And that theme is this, that the temptation for these churches is to get drawn into the ways of the culture around them. The temptation for these seven churches is to get drawn into the ways of the culture around them so that they start to be more like the world and less like Jesus. And listen to me, that is still the temptation in 2021. That the church of Jesus will get drawn into the ways of the world and we would be more like the world than we are like Jesus. And here's the deal. You and I, we live in a really weird day. We live in a really weird day where all kinds of people, even church folk, even so-called Christians, are asking the question, does the church even matter anymore? I mean, does the church have a place Because listen, man, I can watch my favorite preacher on YouTube in my pajamas eating Cheetos. Does the church matter anymore? And I want to say yes, and I want to give you one reason why the church matters today. There's a lot of reasons I could give, but I think from these seven letters, I think one reason jumps out. Why you need the church, why I need the church, why the church matters and here it is we need the church so that we can resist you and i everybody online we need the church so that we can resist in fact you could take that and you could say it another way that the church is a people of resistance the church you and i are the church this building is not a church the church is people we are people of resistance and the church is called to resist in every age the spirit of the age so you look up the word resist in the dictionary and the word resist in the dictionary literally means to stand against something this is what the apostle paul is talking about in ephesians 6 he's talking about the armor of god he says after you have done all that you can stand that's what that means resist is what that means stand against something. So you and I, we are people of resistance. So the question is, what will we resist? What do we need to resist? Here it is. There's two things. Two things from these seven letters that you and I need to resist. And here's the first one. We need to resist cultural formation. You and I, we need to resist cultural formation. Formation. Now, here we go. I said we're digging into the book of Revelation. These words are not on the screen, and I did that on purpose, okay? These are just verses in the Bible. So look at them on your phone or the Bible that you've got with you. Look at Revelation 2. We're going to be in 18 to 20. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 and 20. Look at these verses. 
to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, feet like burnished bronze. Chapter 1, right? We saw that. I know your deeds. I know. There it is. Your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. Watch, watch this. That you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, look at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, stop right there. Let's dig in. Here we go. Did you see that John says, listen, church, you are tolerating that woman Jezebel. So we got to go back to last week. Remember last week? Last week we talked about the rules of Revelation. One of the rules we talked about was how Revelation uses the Old Testament more than any other book. There is not anything in Revelation that is not already in the Bible. Say it that way. There isn't anything new in the Revelation. In Revelation. Revolution. That's another thing. Revelation. There isn't anything new. Right? And so a lot of stuff, man, what's that mean? Go back to the Old Testament. It, it's a hyperlink. It's a connection to the Old Testament. Jezebel, Old Testament. Who is Jezebel. Jezebel was, the, king, was the, queen, the wife rather of King Ahab. You can read about her in 1 and 2 Kings. Jezebel's mission was to seduce the people of God into stop worshiping the God of Israel and start worshiping the God of Baal. So Jezebel tried to seduce the Israelites into being like the culture. Hey, just be like everybody else. Stop worshiping God. Everybody worships Baal. You should worship Baal. And so John says, listen, you are tolerating, and look at what he says here. You are tolerating the woman herself who, who, who calls herself a prophet. So what that means is this was an actual woman in this church. We know it because he says she calls herself a prophet. This is a real woman. Her name is not Jezebel, but she has a Jezebel-type spirit. And that Jezebel-type spirit is to seduce the church of Thyatira to being like the world around it instead of like Jesus. And the way that this spirit is trying to seduce this church is to get it through sexual immorality and eating food offered to idols. Now, let's take a step back further. Jezebel in Revelation 2 is a snapshot of something that Revelation will give a lot of attention to in several weeks called the prostitute of Babylon. Now, where have you heard of Babylon? Old Testament, right? So what is Babylon? In the Old Testament, Babylon is a place. In the Old Testament, Babylon is a place. Babylon's whole agenda, its whole culture was to be anti-God. It was anti-God. It was against God in every single way. Listen, Babylon is Vegas way more than Vegas could ever be Vegas. Y'all know what I'm saying? Babylon is the first sin city, and man, it still holds that title pretty strongly. I mean, Babylon was set hardcore against God. And Babylon's whole agenda was to form you, disciple you into the ways of Babylon instead of God's ways. So that doesn't make any sense. Help me to understand it. So Daniel chapter 1. You know the story? Daniel's a teenager. All of the Israelites are taken captive into Babylon. They disobeyed God and as punishment they're sent into Babylonian, Babylonian captivity. Daniel and three of his friends, you know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are all taken captive, and Daniel chapter 1 shows how the Babylonians tried to all of a sudden disciple Daniel and his friends into being Babylon. They try to get the Israel out of them and put the Babylon in. So what they do is, chapter 1 says, they teach them the language of Babylon. 
Then they teach them the ways of Babylon. Then if you know Daniel chapter 1, they tried to get it so down deep into Daniel and his friends. that You remember this? They tried to change the way that they eat so that they would stop eating like Israelites and they would start to eat like Babylonians. Daniel refuses, then writes a cookbook called the Daniel Fast, and he's been riding that gravy train ever since. And so, that's a joke. Two people in the church got that joke. Everybody else wrote that down like it was a note. Didn't happen, made it up. But anyway, but the whole point is that Daniel and his friends were in danger of being discipled into Babylonians. Babylon in the Old Testament was the place. If you're still with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, because you need to hang on. In Revelation, Babylon is not a place. It is a spirit. In Revelation, Babylon is not a place anymore. You can't go there. It is a spirit that could overtake your life. And the spirit of Babylon, or as the New Testament will also refer to it as the spirit of this age, it is the same thing. It wants to form us into people who look like the culture around us instead of Jesus. And it is a real spirit. See, here's the thing. Same thing happened that happened in the 930. At that point, some of y'all checked out because you think I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ had no problem talking about spirits. Demons, the demonic realm. Jesus would talk about the physical realm, and then without missing a beat, he would just start talking about stuff that you can't see that was impacting what you can. The apostle Paul will paint a picture of the world and says, listen, this world is driven by powers and principalities, demonic spirits that that you can't see, you might not be able to touch, but they are impacting your life. And here's the deal. I know that we like to pretend we are sophisticated Americans who have evolved and we've moved away from some kind of archaic belief in spirits of the world. Listen to me right now. You and I, we are either going to try to water down Christianity and make it palatable to ourselves and our friends so that they think we're not as weird as we really are, or we will receive Christianity for what it really is. It is a kingdom that is coming by the risen Jesus and And Jesus is driving out the darkness, including the darkness of the spirit realm. Here's the deal. Some of you are not in. Let me bring you in. Are you a Christian? Facebook and YouTube. Are you a Christian? Did you know that this whole thing was built on the foundation of a man that they literally physically killed, and three days later, that man physically got up and walked out of his grave. I don't know where you roll, but where I do, that doesn't happen often. Christianity has been weird from the get-go. Stop trying to fit Christianity into your life and give your life to Jesus. I mean all of it. I mean the whole thing, right? Some of you ain't in. I'm glad you're here, right? This is a spirit. A real spirit. Here's the thing. There there is a spirit. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is a spirit at work in this world. And its goal is to disciple you and I into its ways instead of Jesus' ways. And and this is just the way that the Bible talks. If I I don't like it, I have to quit. If we we don't like it, we have to get rid of this book. This is just the way that the Bible assumes reality works. There is a reality that you can't see. There is. 
It is real. There is a spirit that wants to shape your life. And you and I, every single day, if you're taking notes, write this down. You and I, I'm no exception, we are either being formed by the Holy Spirit or the spirit of this age. At all times, 24-7, 365, no off days. I am either being discipled by the spirit of Babylon of this age or the Holy Spirit. Say, Mark, how does this work? Here's how this works. The way that the spirit of Babylon, spirit of this age, this, this spirit that he's talking about right here, in this church, the way this spirit comes to us is through lies. The way that this spirit comes to you and me is through lies. It's the same way as it did, the, it did Satan and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. Did God actually say? You remember that, right? Did God actually say? Listen, Satan doesn't try to tempt Adam and Eve to do anything. He tempts them to believe something. Because you and I will live according to our beliefs. The reason that they fell and did what they did is because they already believed a lie. Are you tracking with me? The way that this spirit comes to us is through lies. This is the air that our culture breathes. There is a reason the apostle Paul looked at his world. He'd say it about our world. That this is the present evil age. This is the present evil day. Some of y'all are like, he's weird. Oh, he's just getting started. He's just getting started. How's this come to you? You wouldn't even know it unless you're smelling for it. You wouldn't even know it unless you're looking for it. See, the spirit of this age, the lies will come to you in all kinds of different ways. Let me just give you some examples. Here's some of the lies of the spirit of the age. You do you. You do. Hey, listen, you do what feels right for you. Follow your own heart. You have your truth. Do you hear it? You, you, you. Here's the thing. There is a God in the spirit of the age, and the God of the spirit of the age is self. Self is the God. I am the God, and you are the God. Follow your own heart. The goal of life in the world that we live in, the purpose of life is to be your authentic self. Self-realization is the goal. Why? Because this is the spirit of the age. It's to do what you want, when you want, whenever you want it, with, who you ever, with, with whoever you want. This is all over the world that we live in. Or if it's not those kinds of lies, the enemy will come to you and just, just give you a substitute religion. So it's political party as ultimate allegiance. Not something that you might vote for every once in a while. Not something that you might share some common beliefs with. But if your friends believe the other way, then you're still friends and all of that. Not, not how it once was maybe where it was a part of your life. Now politics is identity. It is another religion. Have you ever considered the division and divisiveness in the culture? It is almost as if it has us captive, isn't it? Do you know why? Because it does. Because there is a spirit behind it. And if the spirit of this age can't get you through lies or just religious substitutes, then the spirit of this age will just distract you so you are basically, uh, you're basically of no consequence to the enemy at all. So you roll in for an hour of church on Sunday, but basically your life is driven by the American dream, popularity, what's happening online, and we're just distracted. Listen to me. This is Satan's discipleship plan. Did you know that Satan has a discipleship plan for your life? 
wants to shape you and form you into a certain kind of person. Here's the deal. Some of you are thinking this. Oh, well, listen, I'm saved, brother. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't apply to me. It's not just simply black and white, saved and lost. Jesus is talking to a church here. He is saying, listen, you are my people. I am with you, all right? You've got good things going, but there is another spirit at work in some of you. There is another spirit that is trying to tear this church apart, and we need the church so that we can resist. I love the way that the Bible talks. Look at this. It's on the screen. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourages one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sins. What's the last word in the room? What's it say? Deceitfulness deceitfulness. Do you know, some of you are like, well, listen, he's talking to somebody else. He's not talking to me. Do you know what the crazy thing is about being deceived? (laughs) You can't be deceived and not know. Somebody tell me. You're deceived. So what do I do? Well, what that verse says is I need, look at it, brothers and sisters to help me in places where I may be deceived. Does that make sense? I need the church to speak over me and say, Mark, listen, man, you are not what you do or produce. You are a child of God. The purpose of your life is not that promotion, climb the corporate ladder at all costs, make the team have the GPA. Thank God for all of that. Work hard for all of that. But God's got a greater purpose for your life than something that you will lose when you die. I need people in my life speaking to me that way. I need the church in my life praying God's purposes, praying God's power, praying the Spirit over my life. Even just this act right here of physically gathering, maybe you're not able to, and the physical act of watching right now, it is just a weekly reminder that you are a part of the kingdom of God. Amen? See, if you're not buying this, you're thinking, listen, this preacher is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. This guy's lost his mind. Can I just get you to do something with me? Ask yourself. This is the way of the world. This is the way that the world works. Ask yourself, does the world right now look like it's thriving? Does the world look like this is working? You do you. You make your own truth. Follow your heart. I think it's really interesting that this spirit deceives these churches two times in these seven letters. Deceives these churches with sexual immorality. So we live in a day where sexuality is not a part of you, it is who you are. Sexuality is identity. Do what you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. We'll even say stuff like this, your body, your choice. And I hear people saying that now about all kinds of things. And can I just tell you, that is not what the Apostle Paul says, who says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Glorify God in your, does anybody know? bodies. Is this working for the world? Is it, is it going well? If this is the path to life and happiness, is that where it's taking people? And listen to me, church, if the answer is no, the only reason for that is because the spirit of this age is the spirit of one that Jesus called a murderer and a liar from the beginning. So we need the church to resist cultural formation. But we also need the church to help us resist losing heart. Last one, we're done. Ephesus lost their first love. Sardis had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. Laodicea, Revelation 3 says, was so lukewarm it made Jesus want to vomit. And all of these people, here's the thing, scary thing right here. All of these people were showing up to church whenever church was going on. They were serving. They were standing up for truth. But somewhere along the way, love for God and love for the things of God went to the back seat. 
They lost their heart. And what happened is these churches just became numb spiritually. That's why I love that we sang that song and Megan is up here just preaching fire this morning, man. I love what she was up here saying, asking God for the fire. Because here's the thing. Can I just tell you, Jesus Christ cares about your passion. Amen? He does. Some of you, you might have just a vision of Christianity where it's all going to heaven when you die. And if that's the model of Christianity that those around you gave you, I am sorry. Jesus Christ did not Torch, go through torture on a cross and walk out of the grave so that we can be bored with him and live for everything else. And then one day jettison out of here and go to some heaven where we supposedly become angels and eat bagels and cream cheese on clouds. Right? That's a TV commercial. That's free. That's free. When I get going, man, I say stuff and you got you to hang with me. All right? Some of you, the reason you're bored with Christianity is because your Christianity is boring. It only kicks in when you die. Jesus Christ came to give you more. Jesus came to give you what? Does anybody know? Life. Man, isn't that what you want? Aren't you just hungry for that life, purpose, belonging, meaning? And he said, I came to give you all that. I came so that anybody who's hungry would never be hungry again. And some of us, we just roll into church like this every single week, and we think, listen, man, this guy's long-winded. Is he about done? I got a table at Applebee's. Next week, Revelation 4 and 5, where we're going, where are we going? We're going to the throne room of God. We get a vision of God in Revelation 4 and 5 because Jesus is serious about your passion for him. Jesus cares about my love for him, See, being numb spiritually, what it means to lose heart, you just become numb spiritually. Going to church, singing the worship songs, the Bible prayer, just doesn't do anything for you anymore. Right? And, li- and listen, here's the thing. I know you might be here and you're watching this and you're thinking, well, listen, Mark, I'm going through a desert season. Everybody goes through desert seasons. Every single follower of Jesus, you're going to go through a truckload of desert seasons where it feels like God's a million miles away, hard to read the Bible, hard to go to church. Everybody goes through desert seasons. Look at me. You are supposed to go through the desert, not live there. Not live there. Say, what's the difference? Here's the difference. I used to be in love with the Bible. Now I don't care now. I'm here every week. You have a reputation of being alive. You serve in that church. You give in that church. You come come to that church. You always post Bible verses on Facebook. But inside, you're dead. And the spirit of this age loves it when we show up, go through the motions, but our love for God and the things of God are gone. Can I ask you a question and then we're done? Am I talking to you today? Is this anybody online? Have you lost heart? Say, Mark, man, listen, if, if I'm honest, I'm only here out of routine, bro. I'm just here out of routine. I'm just watching because it's what I started doing last year. I just, I just do it every I'm just here because of routine. Hey, can I say something to you? If you are here solely out of routine, can I just say honestly, number one, thank God for the routine that got you here. Amen? Thank God for the routine that's got you still watching. Thank God for the routine that still has you singing the songs. And if you have lost heart, 
this morning, and the Spirit of God is saying to you, man, don't you want that fire? I'm a real person, Jesus says. I'm a real person. I want you to know me, to love me, to worship and live for me. Don't you want that? If, if you have lost heart, can I just tell you God's got a word for you in these letters? Revelation 3.20 says this. is on the screen. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person, and they with me. I love this. Jesus, Jesus is knocking on our hearts today. And he says, hey, listen, listen, have you lost heart? Are you bored with me? Have you gotten bored with God? Well, Jesus says to you, if you open the door, I'll come in, not to yell at you, not to freak out and give you a lecture. I will come in and look at what it says. Eat with you. Man, I want to be your friend. I just want to be with you, and I want you to know that I've got life for you and purpose and meaning and belonging. If you open the door, I will come in. Mark, how do I open the door? Here's how you open the door. You just go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've lost heart. Literally, it's that simple. That's what it means to repent, change direction. Jesus, I am bored with you. I'm sorry. Jesus, nobody in this church knows it. I haven't read my Bible in a year. Jesus, nobody in this church knows it. I haven't been to church or done anything with church since lockdown started, March 2020. Jesus, nobody in this church knows it. I don't even, I don't even pray when I'm not in something like this. And can I tell you, when you talk to Jesus that way, you know what you're doing? You're opening the door. You're opening the door. Church, listen to me. If Jesus is knocking, saying, listen, let's not lose heart. Let's not lose heart. If you open the door, he'll come in. Open the door today, tomorrow, and every single day. And I'll tell you what he's going to do. I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to come in, restore that relationship with you. Not take you back to where you were. Take you to a place you've never been. That's what he's going to do. Or maybe you're here like, listen, man, I have lost heart. But, man, while you were talking about being shaped and discipled by the culture, I think there's places in my life where I've been deceived, where I've been shaped and discipled by this other spirit. Mark, what do I do? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The spirit of the age is like the lazy river at a water park. You might know the lazy river, right? You go to a water park. Every water park has a lazy river. You get in, and the current just takes you down. You don't even have to swim. It's just going along with the current. You can get in your inner tube. You can swim. Just float. The current will take you. That's how the spirit of the age works. Just go along with the culture around you. Here's what some of you are saying. Here's what some of you are online, online are saying. Listen, surely this is okay for me to do. I have people say this to me all the time about things that they come back two weeks later and they do it. They're convinced this will make me happy if I do it. Two weeks later, they come back because their life is destroyed. And some of you in this room and some of you are online are saying, listen, listen, I know that the Bible might tell me that this is wrong, but everybody else tells me it's right. Mark, I, I have a peace about what I'm about to do. I have a peace about what me and this person I, I'm not married to, about what we're doing that nobody else knows about. Mark, I, I feel good about this. Mark, this seems right to me. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So what do you, so what do, you do? You go against the culture. You go against the culture and not listen to the culture's voice, the voice of the Spirit. And today, if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, saying, hey, listen, this, there's this one area in your life you're being shaped by another spirit. Let me in there. I'll come in and eat, and I'll begin to shape you so you look like, like me and less like the world. But here's the deal. If you are here, we're done. If you are here, you're watching online. And if you have lost heart, or you say, man, I think I'm being discipled by another spirit, 
or you are just tired from a year of loss and pandemic and change, I have one word for you today. Resist. Well, it definitely gets interesting when you dive into this idea of spirits at work in the world, actual spirits at work in the world, the spiritual realm, and that those spirits can disciple us, shape us into certain kinds of people. And so what did God say to you today? And what will you do about it? What are the areas in your life where you may think more like the culture than the kingdom of God? What are the places in your life where the way that you respond or the goals that you have, you know, the way that you think about your life or the future, you get those from the world and from the places, people, culture around you, not the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. And it is at that place where if we really press down in, we are likely being discipled by something. And so this idea is not new. It's not some back corner, weird, quirky idea. It's not reserved for like some denomination or groups that this is the Bible. This is the Bible's view of reality. I think one of the things that we're going to have to do as we're in the book of Revelation is we're going to have to let God define our reality, which is what we've always had to do, but maybe we've never put that piece together. Maybe we've maybe we've never died to the view of reality that we got from somewhere other than Jesus. And so if that is one of the things that we get from Revelation, then praise God. And so thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you've been blessed by Summit, by the ministry, we invite you to give. Um, you can give online. Instructions, links for how to do that are in the show notes. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Another great thing to do to help the podcast get in front of more people is wherever you listen to a podcast, leave, leave a rating and review. That just helps more people find the podcast and jump in. Hey, thanks a lot for listening. Be back next week.